that point. No, no more coming back here uh, and looking at that. So, um, <clears throat> but we're on the home stretch, but that doesn't mean we don't have some really, really good stuff here. And, uh, and talking about that. So, we talked about the, the beginning of chapter 12 forward, this image that the writer points of us being surrounded by all those witnesses, all those people of faith, named and unnamed, who endured. And he said, therefore, let us endure. If they endured, we can endure. Don't give up. Don't go back. And that's, that's a really important image, and we talked about that a good a bit last night. And he talked about how we run that race. Uh, we not only are aware of all the others who have endured, we also look to examples of, of people around us who are enduring, who are still in the race despite all the things that have come out now. We lay aside the weights, and we talked about this was different than sin, right? What kind of things are weights that can weight us down in our race? Are they simple? This is the simple stuff. What's not simple that can weight us down? Yeah, distractions, things that just take our time away. Don't let us focus on this race. If we, uh, if uh, I know several people who train for marathons, I mean, you've got to go put the time in to train. You can't just say, "Well, I'm lazy today. I don't want to go run this run." You're not going to finish the marathon if you don't lay aside the weights and do the things here. And then, obviously, the sin. Sin is a weight that's like a ball and chain. It's like you can't carry the sin with you. There's no way um, to make that happen. And then you actually have to run the race. And in the race, is it going to all be easy? Is it all going to be downhill? We can just kind of pick our feet up? and No, there, there are some things that, that we will have to endure. We know it. We've been told that. We have to have endurance because we're prepared that we're going to hit some hard times, some times when it's tough. And so we have to do that. But how do we get through those times? We focus on Jesus. We hear the crowd here. We, we sometimes think about let's focus on those people who've done it before. Well, that's that's the crowd cheering for us. Who's who's actually opened the door and, and, and backing us on? Who's giving us the strength to endure? It actually is Jesus and looking at that. And so, really, really important thing for us to talk about here and uh, thinking about that endurance because we shouldn't be surprised that we have to endure because God tells us that he is many times behind these tests that make us hard, make it hard for it to happen. And we finished up the class talking about the chastening of the Lord. Why is it so hard? Why do we have to endure? Well, the Hebrew writer says, because chastening is how God refines us. He not only tests us, he's not trying to shake us up with that test. What's he trying to do with that test? Build us up. Strengthen us up. Help us to see that we can endure. And so the things that we, we that happen in life may come at us and we don't know how we're going to get at them, but we're assured by God that nothing's come at you that you can't overcome with God's strength. And so we have to try ourselves and believe in not only ourselves, but believe in our God who's going to help us do that. Why does He chasten? Why does He even do this? Wouldn't it just be easier if He just made it... Just make it a nice, easy path, and I stroll in the, in the woods on the nice road, and we'll get there. But why does God chasten us? Same reason we chasten our children. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. He wants us to understand what it takes in order to please Him. It's not that He's going to lower His standard. It's not that He's going to just let us in no matter what we do. No, we have to actually be willing to love Him and trust Him and be in that relationship with Him 
But he wants us to endure. These tests start to shake us up. They're to build us up, as we just said. What does he call those who did not receive chastening? If it's our illegitimate. illegitimate. They're illegitimate children. If a parent doesn't chasten their children, it really is an indication they really don't they're not looking out for their children's best interest. There's another thing that's behind behind that in the parent. This says illegitimate children are chastened by their fathers. The children that are loved, the ones that are legitimate, they are chastened by their fathers. And then finally, thinking about this passage, is chastening joyful as it occurs? Anything about chastening that's fun? It's, it's not. But what's at the end of it? That phrase I just love there in, in Hebrews 12. The peaceable fruits of righteousness. Have we ever made it through a trial and just sat back and went, whew, I'm glad that's over. But God got me through that. What, 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 what is that state that you're in when you feel that? It's peace, right? You actually see that the fruit of righteousness, doing what God asks, yields the fruit that He wants to have happen. And that's, and that's why this endurance and chastening is so important. Mitch? In the Greek and Roman societies, if you were an illegitimate child, you were not in line for any inheritance. Right. So they certainly understand the simile here that for us, if God doesn't chasten us, then it's going to be... There's no inheritance. There's no inheritance for us. That's right. And we think about what we've talked about in Hebrews, this rest with God, this rest that the Israelites missed out on because they rebelled. The rest that he's admonishing us, don't you miss out on that by quitting and failing to endure. That rest is actually prepared for his heirs. And so this, this symbol of being an heir and being chastened so that you can continue being an heir, they understood very well. And we might not as much, but I think we can learn about it and understand it. So ex excellent point there. And so now we'll, we'll turn to the parts uh, that, uh, that, are, that are new and we'll get started with today's lesson. He says in verses 12 and 13, Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Okay. There's an image that he's painting here. And I'm going to, I'm going to start with this image. This is the image of a Roman road. Make straight paths for your feet. Okay? So if you're tired, if you're feeble, if your hands are hanging down, what's the point here of make straight paths for your feet? If this were physically the case, if you were hiking out in the woods through rough terrain, what, what would you do to make a straight path for your feet? I'd count the obstacles. Yeah. You'd either get, cut down the obstacles or get out of the woods and get back on the road, right? If there's a road through the woods, you want to get on the road. And so get your feet on the path. I mean, the path might be hard. It's not as hard as all this other stuff out here, all this brush that, that's around there. So they would have understood that image of a Roman road going through their town and connecting cities together and doing that. And, and so when you're tired and your knees are feeble and they're breaking and you're trudging through, make sure you're on the right path. But the actual word here, and I found this interesting in my, in, in my study here, and there's a point to this, make straight paths for your feet. That really isn't the word that means Roman road, okay? 
It's the word that means it's this picture. You see these right here? What do you think those are? That little ruts. They're ruts. Why were there ruts in these stone Roman roads? The chariots. Heavy travel. Heavy travel on the chariots on it. And so if you were if you're riding a chariot on this road or taking a wagon on this road, wouldn't you want your wheels? Right. Yeah, if they were out here, number one, it was above your road. Number two, it would, you would you could end up breaking a reel and doing this. And what he really says is not only get in the road, get in the narrow path. Get in the traveled rut that clearly marks out the right way to be going. That is how we actually make sure that we not be dislocated. So what's that mean? If you're if you're running and you dislocate something, how much farther do you go? It depends on how stubborn you are. <laughs> it depends. Is it easy to go much farther? And so basically, if you're tired and you're having a tough time enduring, don't make it worse by not being on the path, where you're going to end up dislocating something and be totally incapable. Get in, the, get in the straight and narrow and, and, and help us to, to help yourself to do that. Now, how do we as Christians get into this straight and narrow? Easy to say. It's a nice image he drives the he parts here. So I saw Veronica pointing down at her book, right? What's, what's the word say? What's God say? What's this book all about? What's the first chat? We'll talk about this again here. What's the first verse of this book say? Remember? In the beginning. Of this book, of Hebrews. Hebrews. Oh. <laughs> the very first verse. God spoke to us about the prophets. Times past spoke to us by the prophets, but the prophets now speaks to us through Jesus. God spoke. If we want to understand how to get on this road and, and put our track in the exact right place, the one that we've got the easiest path that's possible, we may think that we're having a hard path of, of getting up this road. But God can assure us this is a much better path than the other path. Because this is actually leading to the destination. These paths are leading away from the destination. So I, I really love that image there. And I, I, love, I love how that, that really calls us to, to think about how do we actually get on the path? We've got to get back in the Word if we're not in the Word. If we find ourselves tired and not having endurance, well, the Word is the place to actually get, get that endurance. It, it will test us and find out if we're on the path or not. And if we're on the path but we're just getting weak and we're tired, it'll give us energy to actually keep going on. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful image that the writer really is calling to mind for this. Now, this is actually where I hope to get to last week. But I want us to, to stop for a second um, and read, and turn to the 35th chapter of Isaiah. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there. Because think about it, the writer of Hebrews clearly is writing to Jewish people. What we've talked about over and over, they're, they're getting drawn back into Jewish society. Likely a Jew himself, he understands everything about that. And when he's been in the Old Testament Scriptures the whole time. I want you to think about this reading I'm going to do for you here against this picture that we've just talked about here in, in the further of chapter 12 and just hear how this really isn't new. This writer is actually saying something that God has been saying to the Jews for a long time. 
And he's saying it again to us through Hebrews 12. So Isaiah 53, beginning of verse 3, and I'll read through verse 10. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He, with the recompense of God, He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, the lame shall leap like deer, and the tongue of the dumb will sing. For waters burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert, and parched roots shall become a pool, the thirsty land springs of water, and the habitation of jackals where each lay, there will be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway will be there, and a road. And it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it will be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. <coughs> I'm sorry, where are you reading? Chapter 35. 35. 35. Oh, you reversed you your words the second time you said it. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so, what is it? Must be the 35. 35. Chapter 35? 35. You should have yelled sooner. <laughs> I was reading the right place though. So I'll start again with this side. Think of the picture on the road. A highway will be there and a road. It will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return. And come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy in their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Okay, sorry I gave you the wrong thing. Isaiah 35, 3 through 3 10, if you want to write that down. In many ways, Hebrews 12 mimics exactly the same thought. Think about it. Now, however hard this highway is on, what's not going to happen on this highway? Or Isaiah. You're not going to be attacked. You're going to be safe. God's providing water and even in the desert if it goes through the desert. It's a picture He paints for us that we can trust the Lord to provide for us if we endure with Him and obey Him. No matter how tough it seems, it's not as bad as getting off this road and facing what else is out there that the Lord is protecting us from as long as we will, will be here. And so, Stay on the road. Even if you're tired, you'll be healed. You'll be strengthened. You'll get through this is another way to say that. And then he, he moves on in, in, in chapter 14. And he says, don't fall short of God's grace. And he said this over and over and over. And so he, I really just wanted to pull out four things here. We can talk about this here in a second. Pursue peace with all. Pursue holiness. Avoid bitterness and do not be profane like Esau. Okay. These people were struggling in a society that was trying to tear them down. What is the human response to somebody trying to tear you down? To tear them down. Tear them down. Let's fight back. What's he say? Is that, is that? Peace with all. Pursue peace with all. You might not be able to make peace with all, but as much as it's in our power... We have to pursue peace with all, even those who are attacking us. We have to show them what Jesus showed them when they were attacking Him, looking to Him. We're not going to fight them on their terms and do that. 
we're not going to stop our faith. We're not going to be quiet about our faith, but we're also not going to, to be the ones that are the instigators of some fight here. Why is pursuit holiness so important? Because God is holy. God is holy. What, what, what's holiness, what's that word mean? Pure. To be holy, to be pure, or to be set apart. set apart? What's the biggest thing that destroys us in our struggle with the world? Then, we become like the world. Yeah. Then, then all of a sudden the world goes, ha, hypocrites, we see it now. You know, we got them, and then can, can move on. What can also happen if you're struggling against health issues, against those who are the world that's around us? What does he say? Avoid bitterness. You ever been bitter that you had to suffer through something? Why'd this happen to me, God? Why do I have to deal with this? What is that a form of? It's a form of bitterness. Remember, chastening comes from the Lord. If we're suffering for sin, we're suffering for our own problems, Peter tells us. If we're suffering, if we have chastening coming that's strengthening us, bitterness is not the response to that. It's holiness, peaceable. And then he throws in this really interesting example. We don't talk about this a lot. He said, don't be like Esau. What did Esau, if you boiled down what Esau did, that the writer might be thinking about here, what did Esau do? He sold his birthright for one meal. Sold his birthright for one meal. Something of huge importance. He sold it for what? Some temporary. Some temporary. I really like my brother's porridge, and I'm really hungry after being hunting, so I want this temporary joy. And I've traded this lasting value away from that. That's profanity. You know, profanity is saying the wrong word. But the Bible, that, that's profane. That's being a worldly person. And worldliness is, is, is characterized by not valuing the things that are truly valuable and trading them for things that are fleeting at best. That's much easier to do without a meal than do without. How did, by the way, how did Esau feel about this later on in life? Bitter had regrets and he desperately tried to get it back, right? Tried to get a blessing from his father. Father, father had given the blessing. There was no blessing to be given. It didn't matter how much he regretted it at that point. He had his his profane actions had given away something that he could not get back. Don't us, the writer says, don't you be like Esau. Don't don't get out of your sufferings for some temporary relief and give away. So something of more lasting value even than the blessed to give away that you give away heaven. So let me stop right there. Thoughts, comments, questions. John? I, I can't remember the exact wording, but about the verse that says, don't lose your soul by gaining the world. I can't remember the, what is that verse? Something remember? Gain the whole world yeah. and lose your soul. Yes. What is that verse? Um, that's Jesus saying that and... Uh, where, where exactly is the places he said that? I know it's at, you can go Matthew, we look it up later, but, that, but that's exactly right. That even if you gain the whole world, I mean, when, the, when Satan tempted him, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You know, and it's like, well, what value is that? I mean, can you imagine Satan saying that, by the way, to Christ? Who created all the world? He did. But did he really like, knew it was Christ? He knew he, was, he, knew who, he knew who he was tempting, right? He was trying to, to tempt him and do that. So, so yeah, Janelle? I was just going to say this, what he probably thought is just a 
simple and worldly thing like food um, affected people for the rest of history. Like that's that little change in choice that he made affected all of the the people, the Edomites, and you know the line of Jacob. Like it affected everything. How one thing can just snowball. And even just relate that to ourselves. If if we if we just if we just capitulate at one time to get out of whatever hardship persecution we're on, particularly these people who might have been under been under threat of death. If we capitulate to do that, what what have we sacrificed? Everything. All of what we're about to talk about here that's coming for those who actually trust God. So good good thoughts, good point. Just, just one one interesting thing on this holiness. Uh, God is obviously holy. Heaven is holy. And only holy people are going to be there with His help. And all of these trials that we get will either make us bitter or better. If it makes you bitter, then you don't have to worry about it. You're not going to make it in God's holy presence anyway. But if all of these trials that we go through makes rounds off our rough edges and makes us more holy, we will appreciate Him and we will appreciate heaven more. You know, heaven's not the best golf course in the world. It's not, uh, it's going to be like uh, the big rock band people. It's none of that. It's holy people being in a, in a holy place with a holy God and enjoying Him. And their relationship with Him. That, that's, exa that's exactly right. And that really is the picture that the Hebrew writer is going to paint next, right? Better to practice being holy here if you want to be there because that is what you will be doing when you're there. And so it's really a place here. Now, I know, Nelma, this is your favorite passage. So I want, us to, I want us to just take for a minute. I want to compare and contrast. Because really, we're going to talk about Mount Zion. But Mount Zion isn't talked about by itself here. It's talked about in contrast to Mount Sinai. So look in your Bibles there. and Tell me some of the things first. Let's start with Mount Sinai. What does the writer say some things, some things about Mount Sinai real quick? Just call them out. Um, Blazing fire. Fire. Got it. What else? Blackness, darkness. Okay, what else? Gloom. Loud. Loud. Trumpets were sounding, right? And this voice that they couldn't bear to hear. What else? Whirlwind. Okay, keep going. Anything else? Terrifying. Who else? Who was actually terrified in the condition of the people? Beast. And who else? Moses. Moses was scared. Moses was scared. Pretty scary place if Moses was scared. Okay. Now, Mount Zion. Okay, what else? City of God. Heavenly Jerusalem. Heavenly Jerusalem. Okay. Angels. Innumerable angels. Angels innumerable. Keep going. 
The assembly of God. The assembly of God. And Jesus, it, it gives both. Uh, and Jesus is there, right? What's Jesus doing? Sitting at the right hand. He's mediating. This assembly of God. What's what were some other and then describe just a little bit further? Church. Well it's There's a really interesting word there. There's a right. isn't there a roster? A role? Okay. Anything else? See how we did. I mean, we're all looking at the same thing. So Sinai, we talked, could not be touched by man or beast. It burned with fire, blackness, darkness, tempests, trumpets. The voice of God was there. Moses was was terrified. Whereas Mount Zion, the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, general assembly of the church, God's the judge is there. Jesus, the mediator, and the blood of Jesus is what. What's that word that's used there? A really Jewish word. What happened to the blood of sacrifices? Sprinkle. Sprinkle. The blood of Jesus was sprinkle, which, which is indicates it's what they did to purify the people. They would sprinkle the blood. Jesus' blood, think about it, is sprinkled all over. Everyone there is purified by the, by the, the blood of Jesus there. Now, I want to, to talk about this. What is similar between these two scenes? What are some of the things that are in the same, the same thing is there? God is there. Okay. God is there. The city of God, He lives there, so God's there. What else? His people are there in both places, different time frame. The assembly of God is there. The people, the people are here. They're terrified, but they're here. They're all, they're all here watching. Excellent. They have one mediator who was Moses. We have one who is Jesus. Moses was their mediator. He was there. And Jesus their mediator. He was there. Okay? These two pictures generate a much different emotional response. It did out of the people. It does out of us. So let so let, let's let's talk about let, let's talk about that for for a second here. What's the emotional reaction to Mount Sinai here? If you were giving me some emotional words, fear. Fear, fear. fear is definitely there. <clears throat> respect. You will respect me, right? Mm -hmm. With fear, I I actually had that sense of. You ever had a sense of foreboding? Something, this is really foreboding that, that seems to be there. What, what, what other emotional, any other things that... Reverence. Yeah, respect, reverence. <coughs> now, what emotional reaction? Now, what emotional reaction do you have to Mount Zion? You've been looking forward to this. this <laughs> okay, happy. Positivity. Whoa. He 
innumerable angels, what, what, what are they doing? What are Ministering. You, you almost see, I mean, I don't know, I don't their windows there, and I almost see their hands out of the windows, beckoning us there, right? I mean, it's welcoming, isn't it? Is there anything about this that's, that's fearful? Well, it's welcoming. And there's nothing fearful about it. Peaceful. Like there is Mount Sinai. Why is, why is there a rush? I mean, God's here. There's someone to help talk with God. But here there's this, this terror and fear. And over here there's this just undescribable joy. What? Why are our emotions different? Why? I mean, there aren't many people who are here at this scene who are going to be at that scene, right? How many people could we actually name that were here at this scene that we think might be at that scene? The two spies and their families and, and Moses, right? I don't think we can really name anyone, anyone else in, in, in looking at that. Go ahead, Joe. It's because the people couldn't have a direct relationship with God under the Old Testament, and we can't. Okay. Because of Jesus. We can't have a direct relationship with God. What does Hebrews tell us that God wanted even after here? Could they have had a direct relationship with God? They could. He wanted to keep being their king. He wanted them to go ahead and cross over in Jordan and actually conquer the land and do what he said. And he said, you know, I would have provided you my rest. And so, mm -hmm. so while this was possible to have somewhat of this feeling of doing that, they, they certainly didn't realize it here in looking at that. So that, that's, that's, one, that's one thing that's there. Doubt. Body. These people, how many times did these people express doubt in God versus trust in Him? Mary. Oh, friend. Does that, do you think any of that doubt was still there? Yeah. What happened when, when Moses came down the first time, broke the tablets, came down and broke the tablets, what had they done that called Moses to break the tablets? They didn't go in calf. I mean, these people had seen incredible wonders of God and they still had doubt and they still wanted to go back a golden calf. That didn't want you to you'd actually built one of those in Egypt. They were, they were looking at all that. What's the difference here? If we're walking this road, we have to trust in God. Because if we don't trust in God, we're over there, right? I mean, think about the day of judgment. If we have fear standing in front of God, I mean, we can have respect for God all we want, but if we have fear and we have terror, that's not the picture he puts it. Why would we have fear and terror? Well, we question whether or not we've been trusted God. We endure. We didn't do what he said. We didn't keep going. These people who come to, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, are they coming there on their own power, by the way? The blood of Jesus sprinkled them. Okay, so 
We, it obviously is better. We've talked about that. Jesus is a better mediator than who? Moses. Much better mediator than Moses. He mediated a better covenant, covenant than Moses did. The sacrifice is better. The sacrifice is better. This blood he sprinkled is better. In fact, what does the Hebrew writer say? Not only was his blood better than that blood, but whose blood was Jesus' blood better than, according to Hebrews 12? And it only had to be offered one time. One time. And better than whose blood? Abel. Abel. Why would he bring up Abel? He was, the, he was the first one that was killed. He was the first one that was killed for his faith. What, what did Abel do? He, Abel had obeyed God and his brother had killed him because his brother was jealous of him for, for doing that. And so as pure as that blood of Abel is, to think about the very first recorded sacrifice of someone whose faith got them killed, Jesus' blood's better than that. You've been thinking about that. So we're really answering this question. What qualities distinguish those approaching Mount Zion versus those approaching Sinai? It's all those qualities. It's learning to trust. It's learning to endure. And so this endurance thing that God gives us, it's teaching us, right? And it's teaching us to do what? It's teaching us to trust God, not to fear God. We may start in fear. Fear is a great place to start serving God. Fear of hell? I mean, what did Jesus say? Don't fear him who can kill the body. Fear who? Fear him who kills the body. Soul in hell. Fear him. Same God. But, if we walk this path and when God teaches us, are we, are we motivated by fear our entire time? Only if we're walking on the edge of the path and we're afraid of... If we've done like that, like that picture, if we stayed on the path and we've trusted God and we've kept enduring, we've learned through the chasing that we've had that we that we can still trust God. We're going to walk. We're going to walk to the heavenly Zion, not like we deserve it, but we're going to be confident we're there because we know that God has prepared us to be there. And if we know that, there'll be no fear there. There'll be only joy. And all those the, all those who've gone before us, like this cloud of witnesses. I love what he said here, that you know, the, the church of the firstborn, every Christian who's gone before us who's walked this path is going to be there welcoming us home. Man, what a picture. What a picture in words that he, that he paints there. I saw a hand here somewhere. Now, These people at Mount Sinai were afraid. They didn't want to get close. They, you, you do it, Moses. We're rushing toward this. And believe me, at my age, it goes fast. <laughs> but... We're all looking forward to this. We want to be there. Except these people, he was saying, Oh, and I want to go back. <laughs> don't go back. Yeah. This trumpet's not going to be scary to us. No. Right? Like, like, like it was to them. Okay, I'm going to, this is, I'm going to show you an interesting little thing here. And there will be a point to this. So it's not just something interesting here doing this. But I think you'll find this interesting. At Sinai, <coughs> This is a little bit more than what the, the Hebrew writer gave us. But remember, there's this fire on the mountain. There's this loud sound. This is all in Exodus, by the way. The law was given, chapters 20 through 31. They worshiped a false god. God's anger was proclaimed against them because of that. They broke his covenant. And 3,000 died. Okay? Think about the first time we have a glimpse of being part of Jesus. Acts the second chapter. We read that earlier this year. There's fire there too, right? Where, what was the fire? 
tongues of fire. Tongues of fire that appeared on the apostles' head, the Holy Spirit coming there. Was there a loud sound? Mighty rushing wind, a loud shout. But the whirlwind, the trumpets, who, who knows? The gospel was given. Fine sermon that was preached there in Acts 2. Jesus was recognized by those who heard as Lord. Whereas in Sinai, they recognized a false god. God's love was proclaimed in verse 39. They entered a new covenant. 3,000 were saved. Okay, that's, that's kind of interesting here. Two times that God gave His law, this reaction the first time to a group of people who just refused to carry it out, even when they repented here, they still got to Jordan and they turned away. Versus these people where the kingdom spread to the, to the entire world. So here's my question. What distinguishes those who died at Sinai from those who are saved at Mount Zion? If we don't want to be in one group or the other, what distinguishes that? Faith in Christ. Faith in Christ? Trust in God? What else? Obedience. Obedience? Remember in Acts 2, uh, verse 37, when they heard the word, what did they say? They not only obeyed, but what did they, what did they clearly do? What must I do to be saved? What must I do? When they heard, we've killed, we've killed the Son of God. The prophesied one, the Messiah, and the Messiah. What can I do? That was repentance, right? That was pleading out. That that was reaching out for God. That was recognizing that that we need to do that. Can, can we say one was punishment and the other one was forgiveness? Well, <coughs> they received punishment because they refused to show these qualities. Think about what would have happened if these people would have shown the qualities that the people on Acts the second chapter would have done. What if they would have said, we, we want to hear God's law. You know, we understand we can't touch the mountain. We understand that you're talking to you know, the mediator Moses, but we want to hear. We'll be patient. We want to do God's law. We want to learn what God wants for us. What would have happened if these people would have had that attitude? They could have entered the promised land. They could have entered the promised land. They could have had a rest that they didn't that they didn't get, as the Hebrew writer says in doing that. And so, while the law of God changed is different, and certainly the path is open through Jesus' blood that wasn't open there, was the path open to God's rest for these people? The difference was the hearts of the people. But they knew too what happened in the past. These would these would have, but you know, interesting. Peter didn't talk about any of this stuff that happened in the past on the on the on the, the Pentecost. Look at that. I, I just uh, the character of those people on Pentecost who heard and were convicted was so different than the character of these people. It teaches us the lesson. What is our character when God's word is preached to us, and when a writer of Hebrews says, "I know it's hard. Don't give up." Is our character that, you don't understand how hard it is for me. Or is our character, I don't know how I'm going to make it, but I'm going to trust God, and I'm just going to keep going. That's distinguished those people. That hopefully will distinguish us. So he concludes this by saying, do not refuse him who speaks. And we've already talked about Hebrews 1.1. The whole book of Hebrews is about God is speaking, and this is almost a conclusion 12 chapters later. Don't close your ears. Listen to God. These people close their ears in terror. They didn't want to hear the voice of God. You talk to him, Moses. 
Hebrew writer says, no, don't be like that. Don't refuse him who speaks. So what lesson, uh, chapter uh, verses 25 through 29, what lesson should we as Christians take away from Mount Sinai? Stop grumbling. Stop grumbling. They were grumblers. Yep. And complainers, and they did it for over 40 years. What were they doing by doing that? They refused. They were refusing to hear God. They're refusing to trust God. Okay, that's one lesson. Is, is <coughs> let's 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 hear God and let's and let's let's work on it with Joan. There's another word that I thought of, and that is being courageous. They were the opposite of that. They were terrified. They were. But, but we know from reading stories of the Old Testament ourselves how God always kept his promises. And so we know we can trust him with confidence and boldness and courage in them. Isn't it interesting? These people have been hemmed up against the bank of the Red Sea and it opened in front of them and they walked through and they still were afraid of the sky. He's going to kill. We're, we're, he's, we're worried he's going to kill us. And it's like, well, yeah, if you're not trusting him, you should be. But, okay, so that that's one's lesson. So how powerful is God's voice? Verse, uh, verse, verse 20, uh, 25. And shake the heavens and the earth. Shake the heavens and the earth um, in doing that. That actually is a reference to Habakkuk, the second chapter. And... Here, when God spoke at Sinai, it shook the mountain. Habakkuk says God shakes the earth and the heavens. It's just another way of saying, does God's voice shakes the universe? That this God who we serve, don't refuse Him because His voice can shake up the entire universe. Tony? He can part the ocean, uh, create a path for them. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's a lot of imagination. That's a little lot. Yeah. And that's not... I mean, that, that whole that, that whole place. In fact, in chapter one, I mean, Mitch uh, Mitch was talking about this. I think there. What is it? What is this, the the analogy that's used there about heavens and the earth? What will Jesus do? Like a cloak, he will do something with it. I mean, so if he's willing to do that, do you not think he's going to provide you with little things like food and water? Says so he will roll it up like a cup. He will roll it up in, in doing that. Okay. Then he says, don't refuse him. Not because you're afraid of him, but because of what? We're receiving what? Everything. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. When God's word shakes the universe, what's going to fall apart? Society. Everything to do with the universe. What's not going to fall apart? Christianity. See, his eyes not going to fall apart. God's word is not going to shake it down. It's permanent. It's there to stay. And so, how do we react to Mount Zion? Confidence. You know, whatever I've got to go through, I'm going to a place that's not going to be shaken. God's going to take the rest of this out. I don't know if it's going to be in my lifetime. I don't know if it's going to be in a thousand years. I don't know. But he's going to take it out. I want to be in a place that's not going to take it out. This, this, this welcoming place. But then he ends the chapter with, you never need to forget something. Verse 29. Our God is a consuming fire. That's not meant to scare us. It's meant to tell us the reality of our God. Our God is a God 
that when He provides this and we reject it, this is going to burn down. And if we're over here, we'll burn down with it. Okay, appreciate the class today. Hopefully got us back on, on track here. And, uh, chapter 13, we'll start talking about Jesus Expects Better Service.